This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I just didn't want it to disappear because it wasn't written down. I wanted to somehow recreate the recipes and to be able to pass that on to my own family and to other people to make it live again. When we eat a bagel or babka, how often do we stop to think about their story? That rye bread on your sandwich is also a bite of Jewish history and culture. I love learning about the history and origins of food. I love when friends share family recipes. Food provides a delicious way to learn about other cultures or to more deeply explore our own. Food is an expression of our holidays and even our religions. In America, we have two generations of Americans who don't cook. That means we're losing our connection to culture, heritage, and home cooking as our grandparents age. They are often the keepers of these recipes and traditions. We are seeing a resurgence in America of culturally inspired heritage cooking. From Hmong restaurants like Union Hmong Kitchen in Minnesota, to films like High on the Hog that explore the history of food from the African diaspora and America. We are leaning into remembering these food traditions and sharing them with others. As America celebrates diversity, food is becoming a critical form of cultural expression. It's an exciting time to meet the heroes hard at work preserving the food traditions of their ancestors and sharing them with the rest of us. Beth Lee is one of these heroes. Our food is linked to obesity, climate change, workers' rights, and so much more. Every bite of food we chew has a story. I'm Amber Stott food activist and founder of the nonprofit Food Literacy Center. I've worked with legislators, school districts, farmers, and chefs to rewrite the story of our food and improve my community. I want to inspire more people to become food activists. So I've invited my mentors and the activists who inspire me to share their stories and their tips on how to improve our food choices, our communities, and our planet. It's time we understand the story behind the food we eat and the impact our food choices have on our health, the environment, and our economy. It's time to start raising kale. Beth Lee shares recipes from her multicultural family on her website, OMG Yummy. Her recently released cookbook is a journey into the baking traditions of the Jewish diaspora called The Essential Jewish Baking Cookbook. Beth, welcome to Raising Kale. Hi, Amber. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to be thought of as a kale raiser. Absolutely. And we'll talk about why I feel you're a kale raiser as we talk about this amazing book that you have. And I actually thought it would be really lovely if you could start off by reading a little bit from the introduction of your book about your bubby and her kitchen. I would love to. 
Let me just grab it. And it's Already absolutely done. gorgeous, by the way, folks. You should check out her website uh, so that you can see the cover, just the cover alone. The photography is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Amber. Yep. OMGYummy.com. And you will see the cover and all kinds of fun stuff. And um, here is the introduction, which I'm very excited to read for, for you. And I thought it would be fun. I guess I could have had it ready on my screen, but I thought it would be just so fun to actually read it from the book. Yeah, so you're holding the, the book in your hands like a, a real paper wonderful book, <laughs> not yep. electronic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's such a it's it feels really good. So here it is. I wish I could say I've been baking right by my Bubby's side since I was five years old. The truth is, I was more of an inquisitive observer and an eager taster. But all along, my baking bug was brewing. Throughout my childhood, I loved watching my grandma's thick, workmanlike fingers manipulate dough with ease. She spent summer after summer with us in Massachusetts, kneading and rolling at the sunlit counter in the corner of the kitchen. But I waited until right before we moved to California to insist on visiting her in her tiny Brooklyn apartment to write down her holla recipe. Scrap paper and pen in hand, my mom and I watched and wrote down Bubby's process. A whole bag of flour, no cups or grams, a third of a juice glass of water, a juice glass, and as much oil and sugar. There were no actual measurements, no photos or videos of any kind, just my hand-printed notes and my mom's in cursive on the back of an envelope. Somehow, the scribbled recipes survived our cross-country move and all of my moves thereafter. Miraculously, my bubby lived to 100 and kept baking into her 90s, but her six kids didn't exactly follow suit. Four girls, two boys, no bakers. As my love for cooking blossomed, I would take out that scrappy envelope from time to time, trying to muster the courage to give challah making a try. I love that. I feel like I'm in the kitchen with you and your bubby with her juice glass. Yeah. 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 And it really was, that was exactly what it was like. She had a tiny little kitchen in her last apartment. And um, when she showed me how to make it, she pulled out literally, she, I'd say, well, how much, how much water, whatever. And she just pulled out like a juice glass and thought, okay. And, and this was way before video and, photos, digital, whatever. So it's like, okay, how am I going to make sense of this? But I, I, you know, I wrote it down and um, it's taken me a long time to really feel like I could like recreate that. But um, mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so yeah. glad that I made myself and I made my parents take us to, <laughs> to Brooklyn before we moved. So I could, I could have that moment. And how old were you? Well, uh, I'm going to guess I was probably 10 or 11 because mm -hmm. we moved to California when I was 11. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I have my grandma's recipe. She wrote them down. I can't imagine um, trying to recreate them. Like talk about your process for that. And um, was that difficult? Well, it, it's it's interesting because this book was such a logical step in my progression in the food world because 
in at my when I started writing my blog, it was 2010. And at my very first blog conference, I remember going to a session where I had this huge aha moment of thinking about why did my grandmother bake so profusely and wonderfully and all six of her kids were not bakers. Mm-hmm. And so I've been like pondering that since the beginning of my time uh, writing my food blog. And one of my revelations was that it had to do with the the generation, the decades that my, particularly the women were in the, in the 50s and the early 60s when suddenly all the processed food became all the rage, right? So yeah. making your own bread was not um, really considered such a wonderful thing during that time. So I'm, I'm thinking that had a lot to do and I, uh, with why my aunts and uncles, probably ants at that time, didn't really learn to bake. They were good cooks, mm-hmm. but they didn't really learn to bake. Um, yeah. And really, there's nothing written, there honestly is nothing written down except for a couple of scribbles beyond mine of the challah recipe. But really, Amber, like that, I was a huge part of why I started my blog, truly, mm-hmm. is I didn't want that to, to just go away. I wanted to figure out how to become confident enough confident enough in the kitchen to figure it out. Like I wanted to, I wanted to be what my mother always would talk about. She'd talk about all of the baked goods. There was even way more before I was born, like in the previous apartments and neighborhoods they lived in, in Brooklyn and in the Lower East Side, they'd have so many relatives over and people would walk there always on Friday night and on Saturday after Temple. And my grandmother always had I mean, so many baked goods, you know, (laughs) cookies and cakes of all sorts. This is my mother talks to me about this. She's my mother is still alive. She's in her early 90s. And uh, as is my dad. And she always told me about all that. And I didn't want it. I just didn't want it to disappear because it wasn't written down. I wanted to somehow figure out how to make that you know, to recreate the recipes and I've done, you know, and to learn and to be able to pass that on to my own family and to other people, you know, to to make it live again. uh, Does your mom taste some of these as you're, as you're baking them? Does she give you pointers or say, Oh, it needs to be crisper or. She, she always loves whatever I bring over. Um, and her, uh, her, she always tells me every single time how happy her mother, my bubby, my grandmother is knowing that I'm doing this. It makes her so, so happy. And it, I love it. Yeah. So she, she, and she definitely, uh, anytime I could get over there with uh, tastes you know, or leftovers, or sometimes I would take some of it and put it in the freezer and I'd mark it with big letters that, you know, that's for grandma and papa. So Nobody touched it. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. And so um, is the goal sort of to recreate specifically what your bubby made? Or is it more to capture your culture and the foods that you, you, your mom, that you are familiar with, that people have told you about? A little of both? Uh, a little of both. That's a great question. Um, it was from the beginning, the the concept was essential Jewish baking. So, and and to cut so things that sort of help you, I think, identify with your with your Jewishness, 
and also not just like I was raised as an Ashkenazic Jew. So that means I my family was originally from Eastern Europe. So Poland, Russia, um, other Eastern European nations. But there are Jews that are of Sephardic descent. And so they're going to be from uh, Spain or Greece and, and those areas of the world. Um, there's Jews that are of Mizrahi descent. So they're going to be from Middle Eastern regions, maybe even Asia. Um, and there's, you know, Jews all over the world. So we wanted to represent a good portion of the diaspora in the book. So I was able to not only spend time, you know, forcing myself to make that Bubby's challah from my, you know, scratch and some other challah recipes in there, but I learned so much about other, um, you know, parts of the diaspora. I, I got to know, I have some friends from college who are of Sephardic descent, and I ended up spending so much time talking with their family, with their mom, and learning about different recipes, um, from you know that culture and background, um, recipes more from the Mizrahi background, some Yemenite recipes, and I just loved it. I I I just I was you know it was it's a stressful process to write a book and to write and to develop all the recipes, but it was also just so fun. I just enjoyed the learning so much. So it sounds like. Um moms and grandmas were as much your research material as anything else. Absolutely. In fact, in the um, moms, grandmas, um, younger people, uh, Facebook groups were so helpful. I have a lot of that in in the acknowledgments and in the references in the back of the book. I I learned so much. Um, I, I said if I could have put text streams or text threads in my you know, in my references, I would have. Sometimes I'd be working on a recipe and back and forth with with one family's daughter and and them talking to their mom and answering questions, sending pictures. Is this what it's supposed to look like? Because sometimes I was developing recipes for things I had not eaten before. So oh, I wow. really had to, like, I had to learn, like, what is, there's a recipe for a roll called Roscus. I had never eaten, but I spent so much time back and forthing on the phone, on texts, in groups. Um, people shared um, cookbooks with me, old Sephardic cookbooks, and let me read those. I just, it, it was fascinating. And it was um, definitely the interaction with moms, grandmas, aunties, friends, friends of friends, um, even even like a friend of mine whose mom passed away and who was a prolific baker, she was able to share a recipe with me that she really had never done much with. And I was mm-hmm. able to bring that to life in the book. So I felt like even um, her name was Hermine, her first name, I felt like Hermine was with me during the Aww. process. And, and this is why you're a kale raiser, Beth, because being able to help folks remember these family traditions and celebrate their culture through food. It's, um, it's, it's joyful. It's meaningful, right? The, the traditions are rich and, and I mean, it's historic. You're, you're capturing things that have been lost. It's so important. So yeah, this is, this is why you're a kale raiser to me. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I, I, as I said earlier, I'm so proud to, for you to, 
put me in that, you know, in that to, to call me a cow raiser. And I feel like when I found food and I, I think I met you early on in that time from, oh, well, and I found f- my food profession, my food career and the, and the realization that this was my passion. And mm-hmm. I loved what I did before and I still do some of that because I was in marketing before, um, but for high tech. And as I tell people, I realize that I enjoy pita chips more than computer chips. And so <laughs> that's why I'm in the food business now. But but what I realized was how passionate I am about it, how much it means to me personally and how much I've discovered over time it means to me for people to share with me through the blog or other social media or when I'm you know, able to be in person with people, how much it means to them to um, learn about a recipe or get the confidence to go into the kitchen and make something, uh, whether it's savory or sweet, you know, a baked good or otherwise. And it meet like that, like for me, those moments are, I, I can't, I can't, nothing else is compared for me in yeah. my career to that, to hearing that. That means just the most to me. Well, let, let's, since you brought up your blog let's talk about that for a minute too because i think um like you said this is sort of an expression of your family and what you eat with your family so when we go to your blog we can find recipes that are favorites for other family members so of course your bubby but uh what are what are some of the other recipes that are family favorites and who do they represent to you and what can we expect on that blog well, so um, my family, my immediate family is is multicultural. So uh, it's that's another aspect of aside from wanting to bring my my grandma and my side of the family's recipes to to, to keep them going forward for life and and to help other people find the same thing. I f- have always felt my husband was not raised in the Jewish faith. Um, he was born in California, but he has family from Hawaii and also originally from Korea. Um, so our 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 children were raised in the Jewish faith, but we have really a very interesting and eclectic background culturally. So you'll also find, for example, Hawaiian recipes on my blog. So I've recently started sharing more of um, the recipes that are um, native to my husband's family, you know, the things that he grew up eating. So when we've gone to Hawaii to visit his family, one of the times we were there, they found like the sort of one of the family recipe books, just these old, you know, typed recipes, the edges of the paper starting to, you know, are getting brown and um, the photos of them, you can barely read them, but we can read them. We took pictures of all of them. So I've really been trying um, more and more to spend time learning um, how to cook those recipes and be able to pass that on because that's just as much who our family is um, Mm -hmm. as, as the Jewish faith is. And, and, um, I, you know, it's, it's very, luckily I love to cook everything and I always have. So there's no, there's no type of food. There's no uh, type of grocery store or no cuisine that I, I fear. I love learning about all new ingredients and, um, and trying all kinds of things, but from our family specifically, it's just as important to me to pass on um, the the 
Hawaiian and Korean heritage and the food from my husband's side of the family as it is to pass on the Jewish cultural traditions. Learn more about one of Beth's favorite multicultural family recipes when we come back from this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Tell us about one of those recipes. What's, What's a recent one or a favorite one? So one of my favorites is the kalbi, which is uh, our, our grilled Korean short ribs. Um, and I absolutely loved creating that recipe. It was, you know, I really, truly started with the, I, I ate it in Hawaii from one of my husband's aunties that's still alive. Uh, we visited, they made it. Um, along with a whole spread of, of things to go with it. And that was the time that we took pictures of the recipe. And I don't know, a year, a year, year and a half ago, I finally just sat down and studied it and studied other recipes and made a few, you know, tweaks to it um, because things change a little bit from probably, I guess, in maybe the 50s or um, before when they first started making it, but uh, worked really hard to make a recipe that would be really approachable for um, anybody, you know, that wants to make um, the, you know, to explore Korean cuisine, to explore, you know, kalbi, it's very popular type of meat to eat when you go out for Korean food, you know, you put it right on the grill, it cooks up really quick. Anyways, I had so much fun making that blog post because I was able to incorporate family pictures and and there's a picture of uh, my husband's grandmother um, on the beach in Hawaii on her knees with a little hibachi oh, making wow. these ribs for and there's lit and, and I included pictures there's like a, a I don't know a eight or ten adults and probably as many kids and she's on her knees on the beach with a little tiny hibachi making oh. these ribs for everybody. Oh. And, and I just, I love that. And in my post, I, I say, you know, you can make these any number of ways. If you have a, you know, 
gas barbecue grill, a charcoal, just a little tiny hibachi on the beach, or even <laughs> just need to do it indoors in a grill pan, like just make them, you know, just yeah. enjoy them, make them. And um, I was really heartened because one of the readers, somebody I've met through my blog, um, she uh, goes to Koreatown in LA a lot and loves the food there, but she made the recipe and she wrote that she was one of her, if not her favorite, her favorite version of kalbi that she's ever introduced her family to. So I was, I was proud. That's and fantastic. Happy. Absolutely. And it feels like part of your, your process is to take a traditional recipe and then do additional research to make the best version of that possible. Is that accurate? Yeah, because I think, I mean, in some cases, with permission, when you um, share a recipe, it feels like the right thing to do to share to share it the way it was. But um, I feel like part of what I'm bringing to the plate for people who read my blog is my spin on it. You know, like, uh, for example, with the Kalbi, they were probably using like a, I forget what they call it in the... Um, in the recipe, but kind of an more a, a form like an MSG additive that I just tend to not use anymore. But it does add a lot of flavor, so I'm you know I want to take the time to figure out how to keep the flavor where it needs to be, but maybe use a more an ingredient that is more typical for people. So there's that aspect, and um, and I think that's kind of what's natural, though, as I've also discovered about. Um, cooking and baking is that I, I recommend to people and I still do this when you making something you're not familiar with start with the original recipe because mm -hmm. it's likely the person who created it put a lot of time and effort into making it work and trying to share with you what they're trying to share but once you know what it is and you know the techniques I also say don't be afraid to play with it. Sometimes I'll give suggestions and even in the book I suggest, you know, you could try an alternative, here's some variations, but as much as there's science involved, there's also art and creativity involved, I think in cooking. And so once you once you know what you're trying to do, don't be afraid to try something new. And know? I think you are really good at that of giving folks options and saying, you know, this might result in this kind of recipe and this might add to this type of recipe um, and, and explaining why you ended up going the way that you went on your recipes. Um, I think you're really good at that. You, you add in some of that Thank science, you. some of that history. So I feel like when folks are using your recipes, they are getting a little bit of everything. It's like having a very uh, confident teacher as their, as their guide. Well, th thank you for saying that. I really do try to keep my um, blog, I, I kind of say, welcome, you know, welcome to my kitchen, like, like join me in my virtual kitchen. And I, I want people to feel like, like when they use one of my recipes or read one of my recipes or read a post that they are sitting with me. You know, I have a friend who's in the naming business and he once said about me, he goes, you're a kitchen table storyteller. And I <laughs> kind of thought about that for a little bit, but you know, kind of that feeling you, you kind of imagine, I even say in one of my recipes in the, in the head note that, 
you can kind of imagine the aunties sitting around and making these. This was in the Barakas recipe, which is a Sephardic um, sort of uh, 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 dumplings, the wrong word, but, but like a stuffed pastry. Um, but, you know, that feeling where people used to sit around and, you know, you go to your neighbor's house or your aunt's house and you're all sitting around and shucking the green beans or, or forming all the, you know, the barrecas or, for example, in my husband's family, making mandu, which is a Korean dumpling, uh, making mandu, you, you know, usually you make a lot when you make it because if you're gonna sit and fold and wrap and make the filling you might as well make like a couple hundred instead of just 50 of them but you know so you imagine people sitting around and doing that together and i want people to feel like i'm if i'm not literally next to them that i am standing next to them and guiding them or giving them confidence that's that's what i hope it feels like for people absolutely and and so they can find Great recipes, a wide variety of things on on your blog on uh, OMG Yummy, and and then this book, which we really I want to dive into a little deeper. Um, this is just essential Jewish baking. So so how did you determine what was essential? That's a pretty powerful word. Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I'm happy to say that so far. Um, some of the I've had some incredible endorsements so far for it, and uh, from uh, Emily Pastor, from uh, Faye Levy, from Cheryl Sternman Rule, from um, uh, Allie Rosen. And one of the things they've picked up on is that there is a cross section of you know from a wide range of the diaspora of of recipes that you would imagine your bubby making or you will remember from your childhood, but it, but it's a great question. How did I come up with that list? And I, at first when I had sort of a schedule for the book and the first part was coming up with the recipe list somehow in my head, I wasn't, I, I didn't feel so, um, didn't feel that intimidated by it. But when I started diving into doing it, um, it wasn't that it was intimidating, but I realized how much research it was. Like if I was going to come up with a list that really was useful and meaningful for a lot of people that they would find a bunch of recipes that really did come from their taste memories, you know, Mm -hmm. current or past, um, that I really needed to figure that out. And that's where modern, you know, social media platforms, along with all of the you know, all of my personal connections and a lot of emails went out to family and to friends. But I spent a lot of time in in the large um, Jewish Facebook groups just asking, you know, posting a thread and saying, what are your like five top, top baked good memories and and really just watching what rolled in, um, you know, both from a uh, cross-section Jewish Facebook groups specific to Sephardic baking or, or cooking. And, and then just really took like lots of notes and studied that and looked at, you know, looked at the data, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and tried to, to fill in um, the outline with, you know, as much of a cross-section of that as possible. Um, That's inc- incredible. So, I mean, it sounds like people around the country and possibly the world kind of contributed to the the front end of this journey. Re- really, they did. And I mean, in cookbooks, too, of course, you know, hardcover yeah. cookbooks and um, or, you know, physical cookbooks. Um, 
and people lent me more cookbooks. People wow. sent me, um, like I was saying, this one family like had all these Sephardic cookbooks and sent me. They have like you know uh, electronic versions they shared with me, and uh, so tons and tons of research in that way. And uh, but it, but I love doing it, and I learned so much before I even started, you know, the baking. Yeah. yeah. So what was one of your favorite um, discoveries? Wow. Uh, what was one of my favorite discoveries? I have to think about that a little bit because um, there were a lot. There's a there's a an Ashkenazic Jewish cookie called Mandelbrot, which means almond bread. Uh, the way I describe it to people is that it's kind of a slightly softer version of biscotti, and biscotti is an Italian cookie. Uh, very similar. They're very similar in what they end up looking like. They're just, there's a little bit more, I, I think, fat in the, the Mandelbrot, and they end up just a little bit softer. They're still a hard, twice-baked cookie. Uh, but as I was doing research, I discovered a cookie in the Sephardic background of um, back, um, baking tradition called biscochos. And they are basically another um, like twice baked uh, hard and hard, not in a, you know, like too difficult in a tart in a good you know just in that they're, they're the kind of cookie you'd have with your morning tea or your afternoon tea or coffee you know you can dip it it just a simple cookie something that will last for a long time you can make a whole bunch of them and put them in a um you know in a cookie jar in the kitchen and they're always available if your neighbor or someone comes over anyhow i i realized basically every almost every um probably cuisine and um, culture, even outside of the Jewish, you know, faith has some kind of a twice baked hard cookie. You know, if you, you keep researching, you realize that there's more of the same than different among mm. even different, um, you know, backgrounds in the Jewish faith and, and, and even in other, you know, cuisines again, like it would come up as I was researching. So I think, but that was that was really fun to realize that Mandelbrot was kind of like biscotti, biscochos is kind of the Sephardic version of that. Oh, and in the Mizrahi background, there it's there isn't a recipe for this in the book, but there's another version. It's called Kak, K-A apostrophe A-K. But it's that in and of itself is fascinating because when you look <laughs> that up, you'll find out there's more versions of it than just the hard cookie. So oh, wow. I would find like you know, uh, these threads of, of commonality um, and then something different. And then when I'd research, well, why is that different? That would take me down another path. And so there were discoveries all the time. It was, um, that was part of what I love so much about the process of writing the book. Oh, that sounds so fun. It's, it's fun when, you know, it it's a joy to write because I, I think that really comes through in the writing. You know, like like I said, I, I felt like I was with you and your bubby in the kitchen. And I just think um, your joy, it, it comes through on the page. Um, talk about the photos in this cookbook. They're just gorgeous. What was what was that process for you? Well, the photos, th thank you. I think that um, the the photographer um, 
who was chosen by the publisher, um, Callisto and Rockridge Press, and her name is Annie Martin. They did a fantastic job with the photos. I, um, you know, because of COVID and just the, and the, the uh, you know, speed of the process, um, I worked with them virtually, but I, you know, we worked together to come up with which recipes to photograph. And all through the process, I took my own like quick photos as I was developing a recipe. Um, and I, you know, I can take beautiful photos. You'll see them on the later parts of my blog that my photography has gotten better, but I didn't take the photos for the book. And I, but I snapped photos to always for a number of reasons. It was part of my recipe development. It was a timestamp sometimes that really helped <laughs> me. But I also, it came in so handy because I was able to share with my editor um, what the final result should look like, both both from my own photos and then all of the people. I had a huge group of fantastic recipe testers. They were like a lifeline for me. They were amazing. And they would always take photos and send them to me too. So I always had photos and was able to share that with the photographer and my editor and the the you know the whole creative crew. And they were able to then create the, you know, bake the, what they baked. I was not there when they baked it um, and came out amazing. And, and I love how they, I feel like they created that in some of the photos, you probably noticed that feeling of like, we're all sitting around with our family and having coffee or tea and enjoying our baked goods, yeah. you know, taking what they baked and creating that, that look of, um, you know, afternoon tea with the aunties or, or, t or coffee with your neighbors. And yeah, so they, they did just an amazing job. I, I, the first time I saw one of the photos, um, I think the first one I saw, well, I think the first one I saw was the cover with the babka and, yeah. you know, what can be bad about babka, right? Um, <laughs> and I love how it, the, the way it looks against the, the, the blue background, but the other, one of the other early ones was the, uh, Bialy and a Bialy is a um, a lesser known. Um, it's not a bagel, but but it tends to be sold with bagels, and it's um, it does have a hole in the center which tends to close up. Um, it was a um, anyhow. I saw that picture of the Bialys uh, with uh, locks and the mm. vegetables and everything on it and the spread, and I I think there may have been a couple tears. I of joy. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. To see it realized, yeah. yeah, and to see how they were able to realize that vision from what I had created and what I wrote, and um, through our virtual, you know, conversations, it was amazing. Oh, I love that so much. And yeah, the the second I saw you post this, I just um, my heart was filled with joy because it's absolutely stunning, and I just. I can't wait for people to get this in their hands. Where can they get this book right now? On Amazon. And uh, uh, it's, you know, it's really important, as you know, and anyone who's written a book to do well on the Amazon platform to help it. You can also find it on bookshop.org. Um, so search for the name of the book, The Essential Jewish Baking Cookbook, or my name, and then you'll be supporting small um small uh, uh, book producers or bookstores. So for many, that's important. And um, and then I hope it's in lots of bookstores. Um, yeah. I can't wait. Like that is, you know, for, for any of us who have dreamed or hoped of ever, 
you know, calling themselves an author um, to actually see as, you know, I was reading from before the actual physical book and to see it on shelves is always exciting. I know through the years as I've known so many people in the years I've been in the food business who've written books and I always snap a photo when I go into a bookstore and see their book on the shelf and try to share that with them because I know it's just exciting to see it. Absolutely. Well, best of luck. And, and you know, on this show, our listeners are hopefully aspiring to be kale raisers in their own right. Uh, what can people do? Should they be documenting their grandma's recipes? What, what can people do to, to be kale raisers at home? So that's a great question. I think um, following your passions is um, kind of a general answer to that, like not ignoring those those little things that say this is important to me and I want to I want to do it um, at talking to your family, your relatives, particularly if they're aging and asking them questions about what they remember. And yes, documenting. I mean, I only had when at that time, you know, a, literally a pencil and a piece of paper. But now that we have digital, you know, record record things or snap photos, um, write things down in your notes. Um, uh, and, and even if it's not something you have time to pursue now, if you have even an inkling that it might matter to you down the road or it might matter to your kids or your future kids or, or a, any significant other in your life or a group of people you know, save it, document it learn about it, ask the questions. Um, it's, it, it is important. And Absolutely. nowadays we don't have to save boxes and boxes of things <laughs> to, to have, have a memory. If you yeah. don't want to save the stuff, you know, <laughs> save it digitally. We have that power now. So get a bigger <laughs> drop box, buy a bigger, whatever, and take pictures and save that. Cause someday it's going to matter. In fact, my mom, as I'm reading your book, I'm, I'm texting my mom. I'm saying, Mom, you know, this recipe of, of Great Aunt Marilyn's, I don't remember where that is anymore. Do you have it, right? Like, I just suddenly got this fear of, I better get these documented. And my mom takes a picture of a big manila envelope full of all, she's like, all of my mom's recipes are in here. And I was like, can we scan them, right? Because I'm like, do you have a firebox, right? Yeah, <laughs> really right, <laughs> right. No, really, it's yeah. true. Digitize, people, digitize. Definitely <laughs> digitize. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear I motivated you to do that. I had an absolutely. Aunt Marilyn too, by the way. And um, yeah, so anyways, I'm glad I motivated you to do that. I hope that some other people listening will do the same, even if it's, you know, you don't know what you're going to do with it. You'd be surprised, um, and how you'll be surprised how much it'll mean to other people. I I see people that are not literally crying, but you can imagine are crying in a Facebook group when they start a thread saying, "I can't find my family's recipe. I remember this. Does anyone know how to make this?" And then when like yeah. dozens, sometimes hundreds of people respond and help them, you know, figure that out. People are so appreciative. I, I see yeah. it like every day. 
Yeah. And and you're sort of a, a culture hero in that way, helping to do that at this scale uh, in your own way. And um, I, I, I don't know your Bubby, but I, I feel like I do through her book and I feel like she's just somewhere smiling right now. I, I, I think she is. Th- thank you for saying that, Amber. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing this time with me and um, just being a wonderful human and a kale razor, Beth. Thank you. Oh, and you too, Amber. You know, I love everything that you're doing at the Food Literacy Center and this, I've been listening to your podcast and enjoying every minute of it. So yeah, thank thank you you for doing this and thank you for having me on. It was super, super fun. Beth is such a good soul. I don't know about you, but I'm really hungry now and inspired to call my mom to make sure she's scanning my grandma's old recipes. I hope you're inspired to do the same. Thanks so much for listening. Please help me spread the word about these inspiring kale raisers by sharing this episode and rating the podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. September is Food Literacy Month. Help us celebrate with our Veggie of the Year contest, where kids vote for their favorite veggie. Join the joy at foodliteracycenter.org. Next week, I talk to Melissa Lance, a former marketing executive who gave up her corporate life to inspire families to eat better after confronting her own habit of relying on too many frozen burritos. She shares her tips for making healthy cooking at home easier. I can't wait for this conversation, and I know you'll love it too. Meet a new food hero next time on Raising Kale. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.